All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to Separation Nation. We're so glad that you joined us. For a few weeks now, we've been letting you know about a special guest, Mr. Todd Saylor. And he's just written a book called Wired Differently. Uh, I've known Todd for probably, trying to think at this point, that was 2016, I believe. So 2016 is when we first met. Yeah, 15, 16. So uh, I was on a radio show, business radio show, that he and a friend of ours who's also been a guest on the show, David Kaufman, entrepreneur and author, and a radio show that they had there in the Sarasota area. And so went down and was a guest with them and uh, really didn't even know I was going to be meeting Todd at that. I just thought it was David Kaufman's radio show and had not not done my research as far as to, you know. Yeah, but I remember you walking in. So, yeah. And you had on some teal green <laughs> glasses. Did I? This man's got, he's always got some stylish specs going. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I remember them glasses. And then I also remember you uh, You looked up, you said that you looked me up and that uh, the, the word that you come up with for me was Towser. Do you remember that? Yeah. That I was a Towser. I, yeah, uh, I had to go look that one badass. up. Badass. There you go. That's what Towser said for us. So, But anyhow, we had a great time on that show. And then, you know, as I've mentioned with some other guests we've had, there's just certain people that, you know, when I met you, Todd, I felt like I had known you. Yeah, you know, fun, just right? like like mind, like spirit, you connect, you like the people. You don't take you but a few minutes to realize you like them. And so through the blessing of social media, mm-hmm. uh, has been able to follow you. And, of course, you live, uh, which was another thing that kind of caught my attention. You live where my family for over 50 years, before I was even on the earth, is vacation, our vacation spot, the beautiful yeah. Anna Maria Island. Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, living down there. And so, you know, just... Some people, like I said, you just absolutely connect with, and sometimes we don't know what that's for. It may be for purposes in the future, and, you know, we, we stay acquainted, we follow one another, and then, you know, through that divine connection, something materializes and, 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 and is birthed out of that. Yeah. So we're excited to have you on today. So just real quick, today we're going to kind of be focusing on uh, Todd's new book, which is Wired Differently that he's released number 12 on yeah we had a, we had a we had a point where we were 12 yeah right? number 12 the highest amazon. we got was 12 we did it, right. we did it the right way yeah so number 12 amazon bestseller and if you know anything about the book world having a, a your first book rank that high yeah. uh and and basically just organically Okay. He, he didn't. <laughs> he, he didn't pay anybody. Or, or look maybe, at Justin pull that one out, right? right the I system. love it. So hey, I, I did go to school a little bit down here. In no, South but South I mean, South. I I love that word. <laughs> I mean, it, it germinated organically. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, author of this book, and uh, I read through the the whole book yesterday. Wow. Phenomenal stories in it. We're going to get to some of that, but just a real quick, a brief overview on Todd. We'll talk more about this, but you know, an athlete. Hall of, collegiate Hall of Famer, uh, you know, All-American, um, triathlete, competed for a number of years there. There's a phenomenal story in his book uh, related to that that we may get into here later. Entrepreneur, business person of a, a multi-multi-million dollar, uh, multiple multi-million dollar companies to be accurate and uh, just involved in a ton. But the real deal, like we've told you again, we're not bringing you – any entrepreneurs or people that have a system they want to say and they've never built a real business in their whole life, we're only going to b- bring people on this podcast that are the real deal, authentic, have built something that you can actually take and grow and learn from. 
And so, uh, you know, just excited to have you on today, Todd. And, um, you know, really, if you just kind of want to do a little better job, maybe, of oh, talking, talking about, about yourself. myself, so, my favorite subject. Right? That's it. it should be. <laughs> should be. You know, it's funny because I, I've had a little help speaking. I never had trouble speaking, right. but, you know, putting it together and making sense out of it and right. keeping people's attention. And I had a friend, Del Toro McNeil. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. So he's been helping me out a little bit. I got up and gave him my first speech, and I said, I'm going to talk about my favorite subject, me. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And so, you know, we went through a year, and we, we, I paid him the money. It was well worth it and all that. I'm giving you a shout-out, Dell. But um, so I get my first keynote, a big keynote, and I'm out in, in Caesar's Palace giving the keynote, man. In Caesar's Palace. I mean, lights. I mean, you get on the YouTube, and you can see it. It's a lot of fun and everything. I get up there. I do that whole talk about my favorite subject, me. Everyone just dies, right? And these are all CEOs, you know, boring stuffing CEOs. You got to bring it out of these guys because they're all making lots of money, and you got to you got to somehow levitate through all that. And and Dell, he just just he just shrunk. He's just so afraid that uh, my favorite subject, me, might not not work out so well. But I think that's kind of what we're talking about Wired Differently is me, and it's you. I mean, when we talk about me, I want people to understand that, yeah, it's funny, but really, I am you, right? And so I want to embody some of those things and not be afraid to go bald and be silly and, and be aggressive and, 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 and get metaphorically naked at times because you need to be that way to separate yourself. You need to be able to say, I mean, who are your favorite? Who are your favorite? I, I'm going to ask you this one. Who's your favorite TV uh, show star from back in the day? Think of a character. You got one? Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> right? What's well, yours? Uh, what, you, come on, come on. You got uh, one? Uh, John, I know who yours is. Come on. <laughs> Sammy from, uh, uh, what's that TV show back in the day? Sammy, the guy behind the bar? Um, cheers, cheers. 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 You cheers. like him? Yeah, I like him. Okay. Yeah. So you got you got that guy, Magna P.I. You got probably a Sammy guy. I got William Shatner, right? Yeah. Boston Legal. I'm, these are these egomaniac guys that just have fun with themselves, right? They're not a bastion to being about yeah. themselves in a good, fun way. And I think that's just kind of that part of the wire differently way. So I, just to get that intro out there a little Hannibal bit. Hannibal from the 18. Yeah, because he was confident. Yeah. He was yeah. a badass, right? So Love we, we akin yeah. ourselves, I'm using your words, to these type of people. And I think the fact that we're willing to, to own up who we are and talk about who we are and then share that with people in a way that it can empower them so that, that they can pull from those special things about you because you're successful. They want to understand. And those things, you gravitate. I mean, you said you remembered me calling you Towser. I remember that now that you told me that. And I did that for a few people on that radio show. But look what I did there. You pulled that. You had an assimilation moment with me. And when you figured out what it was, I gave you that feeling of confidence. Not that you probably needed it, but you got it. The most successful people are probably some of the most insecure people. So I think y'all need to understand that, that it's, you, you need to get out there. You need to tell somebody you love them. You need to tell someone that you're attracted to them in, in a right way. And you need, to, you need to empower people. You guys are good at that. You made a lot of money doing that. So that's a little bit about Wired Differently and my, my personality, for sure. Well, Ted, uh, so we got the book. Yeah. So 
I mean, how did the book come about? What inspired the book? Obviously, you've had a ton of success. But what, I mean, what was your why in writing the book? Mm -hmm. What was your legacy piece? What did you want to leave? So I think that it's fun talking to you guys. I, I did my homework on you all. Congratulations. It's a great story, and I want more years for you. It's this whole idea that we never really feel successful enough. I think a wire differently person just, you know, it's never quite enough. And you're always worried about the shoe dropping because we didn't grow up with much. I, I, I know that both about you a little bit. And I know I had a single wide trailer and two babies and family of raccoons uh, sharing some space with us. <laughs> I, mean, I got all the stories. And I, it's never enough when you're trying to find that component. You want to just be so far away from impoverished uh, poverty. You know, you just never want to be looking at that again. And so we're always stacking, stacking. But I think the why was, I, I know the why was I wanted my children to know what I have done that was successful with building companies or even the triathlon piece or some of the things that they would build leadership legacies from them on my stories. Um, you don't know what people are going to say about you when you're dead. Right. <laughs> so you might as well write down some things that you might want to be sure that are accurate or something of that nature. In my case, I wanted to be empowering. So that's how it started. So I started writing these stories and just that. And then I started thinking to myself, a lot of people ask me, how did I do it? And I, I was always bothered by that question, Justin, because I, I didn't really feel like I did much. But then when you start to reflect on what you guys have done, come on now, right? You got to own it. You got to you got to really realize you have done something special. And I, I didn't have an answer. That bothered me. And so I really just started digging deeper. What what could I tell somebody of how I did this? And so then I really worked at it and started writing the book and then it just came together. You know, I told the truth about drifting. I told the truth about the seven fulcrum principles. And I told the truth about the truth of the gospel. I I I just told the truth that I I was adverse or afraid of the bigger, faster, stronger. I, I had been guilty of drifting. And I think that wire differently people uh, have a special piece of them. You know, we're all genetically wired different. But there's a certain subgroup, right, that are warriors, that are just different than the rest of the differentiality components. And that's where I felt that I was separating myself. And it was, it was the go-to, the how-to, and the drive, and all those things. But I wanted my children to know that was it. And so how I did it was basically continue to drive. And I talked about um, my stories. I mean, I, it's an ex, it's a experiential, motivating leadership success system. you know. And I didn't know it until I worked at it. This experience of being wired differently, the motivational side of it. And then the system of collecting those things and moving it through. So when, when, you, when, you, when you realize the fact that you're wired different and you're willing to own the facts that you're willing to be different, and then you act upon it. And that's what the book's about. I want, to, I want people to gravitate to the fact that they're different and quit hiding from the fact that you're different. And if you can get out of that and you can bang your chest and say, I am elite and deserve to be treated as such, and own that piece in a humble, excellent way, people will be attracted to you. You'll be able to give back easier. You'll be able to own your personality. You'll be able to own your success. You'll be able to feel good about it. This book right here took two and a half years to write. You know, 
I think it's the best book I ever wrote. <laughs> That's my first book. But it's a great book, and I can't wait to hold it up and, and show it to people and get my pictures taken with them. And, 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 and when they're done reading it, I know that they're going to take something from it. I definitely took a lot from it yesterday. I mean, but backing up, let me, let me ask you this. When you, when you talk about drifting for yeah. our audience, yeah. tell us what does, what does drifting mean to you? And tell us about the point in your life, you know, where you felt like you were drifting according to your story and what you've done to pull and hone all that back in and get you on the path you are now. Yeah, I think we kind of stopped at that. Why are differently people or, or A-driven people or uh, the Ds and the disc kind of personality thing that you guys are all talking about in the past? But we drift, and we get, we get ahead of ourselves, and, and drifting is getting off task, getting maybe full of ourselves, maybe, maybe, maybe rationalizing certain things. In my life, in the pivotal moment in my life, I was, um, was 30-something years old, and I was preaching. Uh, I wasn't a preacher, but the pastor called me. He was stuck in Chicago on a snowy day, and I was a deacon, and, and I liked to talk. He said, Todd, you got to got to jump in there for me. And I said, great, I'll do it. So I got up there on the stage the next morning and I wanted to preach about the truth. You know, Christ tells us the truth. And I was doing the fact that the truth is the gospel. But part of the story I was talking about, you know, you need to tell the truth uh, because that's what's asked from us. Not only the truth about the truth, the truth, but the truth is Jesus Christ. But so I was doing the metaphor of uh, George Washington told the truth about chopping down a cherry tree. And I was trying to get to the gospel, but as I started telling that story about to tell the truth, it, it hit me. I felt like I was, you know, I got stuck there on that, that rabbit hole. I spoke three times that day. This was the last service and kind of hit me in the head that, you know, it's not good enough just to tell the truth. Sometimes in life as salespeople, because I was a, a very successful salesperson at that time, making a lot of money, Selling something I didn't quite believe in at that time anymore because of the corporate things, and maybe we'll talk about that. But sometimes we leave pieces of the truth out, right? And it allows us to say we're telling the truth because we're not telling the whole, the whole story. And so I was guilty of that. And I was making a lot of money avoiding some of the whole truth on a certain product, and I was really convicted. You call that a commission by omission. Commission by omission. That's exactly right. Yeah, sin by omission or the truth. You, you know, I agree. And so I was, I was guilty of it because I knew some things were gurgling, and I choose to avoid it, and I rationalize it would be best for them in short period. And you know, you just can do about anything to justify. It wasn't against the law. It just would have put a real cramp on my six, seven hundred thousand dollars income. So I'm up there, the lights are bright on me, and I'm being convicted of telling the whole truth, not just the part I want people to hear. And I'm trying to get this message out about the gospel, and you're bald, and sweat starts rolling off the top of your head, <laughs> man. The lights are bright, and you know, it's a lonely place up there when, when you're trying. And it, to, to make the story short, is it all kind of unpacked itself and everyone got the story they needed. I got the story I had to hear. And I went home that day and I told my wife we we're done with that business. And I had drifted. 
I had drifted away from my moral compass. I had drifted away from the truth. I had drifted away from the things that are important to me. I had drifted away from the things my daddy taught me. I drifted away from the things that my coach taught me. I drifted away from the things that my mom taught me. I drifted away from my my preschool teacher. I drifted away. I, I just left the core being of who I was because we drift. And we try to find ways to maintain this world that are against our grain, and we drift. And so a wired differently person can embrace that at some time. So in, in, in that process... It's you, hard, Justin. Yeah, when you realize that, though, and you, I mean, it's one of the hardest decisions most people make. Most people's just going, saying, "Heck, I'm making six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, I got a good thing going. I'm going to ride it out to have to be able to have the, not only the conviction, but then to be able to take massive action to say, you know, no, I've got to, I've got to go a different route. I got to go a different way with this. Um, and what, what do you, what do you do at that point? Realizing it's one thing, but what process do you ensue then? I know you talk about you know, the process that basically that you implemented in your life to take you from there and then how even past that you hit red lights. And, yeah. You know, how does that, how does that well, play I just, out? I think you guys are salesmen and, you know, I have a, a, a message called the five T's, told, taught, tug, tamed, or team. These are, the, these are the five ways that you want to make sure your buyer, you want to figure out which buyers. Is this buyer, does he want told? Does she want tugged? Does she need tamed? Does she need teamed? You know, and it's a great message. So I think one of the things um, about that whole process of selling is sometimes you get to a point, right, John? Mm. You need to be willing to blow the deal to make the deal. Mm. Look at us, man. We're all blubbing babies in here. So I'm sorry about that. But I mean, at any time in life, I mean, if you want to be successful, you want to be wired differently, you want to be like John, you want to be like Justin, you, you, you want to be separator uh, from other, you want to be special, you want to be different. At some point, you've got to say, I'm willing to just blow this deal to make this deal because that's how, that's how we're going to do it. And I think uh, that's, that's, you've got to get to that point when you realize you've drifted and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. And I, I can't teach that. So what you just said, you put it better than anybody I've ever heard put it, you gotta be willing to blow the deal to make the deal. Right. When when you try to sell something like your life depends on it, you never come close to deal. Desperate. And desperate. Des- desperation always comes through, but when you can get yourself to a point to where out of confidence to knowing, and we, we've got a saying around here, some will, some won't, so what? Right. We always get on to the next deal, the next deal. But confidence in, in somebody like you, and, and and there's a lot of people that are there, there's a lot of people that aren't, but to, to be able to, to know that I've reached success and I can reach it again. Right. I've sold before I can sell again. If I have to get in a we talk about a vehicle a lot of times. If I have to climb in a different vehicle, I'm going to be able to drive it. It's so the same way I've driven this last one. So we know that that success is in us. It's just like you knew it was in you. If you had to change routes or, or do it a little bit different way, you knew you could do it. It's still scary. Oh, yeah. You know, I think success and, you know, when, when you start with a little bit of little, you don't want to go back, but yet you don't, you don't understand. If you ever just feel like maybe 
you got me. I just got lucky. And then you got to prove it again because you're just not sure. There's always that little, you know, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I mean, I just can't. I mean, there's always a little bit of doubt. And, I, and so the luxury I have of this brand of Wired Differently is, you know, some people have problems with it, but Wired Differently is me, okay? And I'm, I'm brave enough to say that most successful people have a lot of these traits. And so when I say it's a Wired Differently trait, it's something I feel comfortable with. I feel like that, that it's special about you all, the people that are willing to make those deep cuts. They're, they're willing to blow the deal to make the deal. They're willing to build a proper channel. They're willing to do it right. And if they're, and they're willing, the, the, clearly the, the successful wire differently people are willing to understand that they're going to drift and they look for it, my friends. Now, let me tell you, this difference of ending up there broken and humbled because you drifted and lost everything you owned, that's a difference between wire differently people looking for this drift, embracing the drift, going after the drift, and getting it before it takes you down and it hobbles you. Being honest with yourself to yeah. be able to look yourself in the eye and say, nah, yeah. you drifted, brother. Yeah, you drifted, brother. We got each other for that. So, uh, so one, look, look, just and we're we'll kind of jump around. I got several. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's great. That, so, in that, in talking about drifting, when you're talking about it in the book, you've got the story of when you were a triathlete and oh, you were you were yeah, swimming yeah, there right. off, off off Sarasota Bay, Anna Marie Island. T tell us that story for a minute, because that's a great story. Yeah. So the the, the 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 story about speaking and having the two two track minds and actually getting called to the carpet and leaving uh, um, that PEO world is what it was. It was selling a, a, a form of payroll. And you went and started your own company. It was so around 2001, two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, two thousand one. So I left all that money behind, started over, and felt like I could build a better model. And we did, which was PaySurf Systems. We started with one customer, one friend, one adding machine, one wife, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we, we went from that to a multi-million dollar company, and then we sold those th that piece off, and then we re-doubled down, and we went from 50-man employee groups to 1,000 or better is what we do in our HCM or nationwide ACM now is uh, nationwide with thousand or more employees. It's a spectacular SaaS software, uh, cloud calculating piece. But the drift story on the island when I drowned, what are you talking about? Right. So that's about um, 15 years later. So the fruit of being willing to blow the deal, to, 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 you know, checking your moral compass and doing all that was some rough times, right? So we rebuilt, we started over, walked away from millions, uh, hard. I, I cried. I cried. I won't lie. I, 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 I cried. My wife supported me. She knew it was eating me up and changed me. So 15 years later, fast forward, PaySurf Systems up and running. We're kicking ass, taking names, man. God came through and uh, we stayed the course and we believed in those things. But my life, I had a lot of money again and, you know, I drifted again. And uh, I stopped doing this, Jeff. So it's a personality trait. You know, we're, 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 we're type A's and we get full of ourselves. We're good at what we do. We can 
We have a special way of talking to people. We're persuasive. I needed, I needed tapped again, you know. And thank God I was looking for it, right? And uh, I'll get to the swim story because metaphorically it's a great story. But see, there's two types of M's in this world. We got all this disc and all this stuff going on. Personalities. Out to me, there's one type of sales and it's persuasive. We have to be persuasive. Persuasive is not a dirty word. Persuasive, persuasion is is the beginning and the end of about any business deal you're ever going to have. We have to be persuasive. We're always selling something. But here's the thing, you know, and I'm digressing to the drift component because it's the piece of me that I have to always check. It's this. If you're persuading somebody and, 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 you're, and, and, and you're manipulating them, that's bad. That's, 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 the, that's, that's the bad end. If you're if if you're persuading somebody for good though, it's motivation. So so the two M's of motivation is manipulation or motivation. So we know that we have this gift, and at any given time, we're gonna be able to use that power of persuasion, and we're gonna go left at manipulation, or we're gonna go right at motivation. And that's part of the drift of our personality trait. So the two M's of persuasion are manipulation and motivation. So when I start to feel myself rationalizing or taking somebody not for the good, then I know that I'm not a motivator anymore. I know I'm a manipulator. That's a bad thing. So at that piece of my life, I got back on top again and I pumped my chest a little bit. I had to bring myself back. And I was out swimming. I was... Uh, uh, like this story. So I was swimming. I was training for an Olympic triathlon. I'd been competing for almost 10 years. And, and uh, I decided to reverse train And because uh, I was that bad. I mean, I could do everything, right? And I did bricks beforehand. And then I got on and I got on a bike and then I ran. And instead of doing it in the proper order, I swam last. And I jumped in the ocean and I started swimming against the tide uh, in a very tired state. And I didn't think about it. I started to cramp up, started to feel nausea. Uh, I'd really got myself into trouble with heat, the Florida ocean. And I turned around because I just wasn't getting anywhere. I was swimming against the tide. Turned around to come back to my bike. And as I turned around to come back to my bike, I started to feel a little better and I was swimming faster. And I just realized that, hey, man, I was swimming against the tide. I'm cramping up. I feel like crap. And all of a sudden, I'm going twice as fast and it's been pulling me out into the deeper part of the ocean. And if I didn't get this under control, it was going to suck me under the Longboat Key Pass bridge, and I was getting up in the Gulf of Mexico. And all that's going on in your head real fast, and at about that time, my stomach froze up, my legs froze up, my shoulders started to lock up, I wanted to puke, I had salt in my stomach, I had salt in my eyes, everything was going bad. And The harder I fought, the more it pulled me out into the depth of the ocean, and I realized after I went down once, I went down twice, I screamed at the top of my lungs, no one was going to help me. I went down the third time and I just kind of dealt with the fact that I was, I had drifted out to wrong waters. <laughs> I was going to die. I was ever in that spot, but you just know, I know what those people felt like when they knew they were going to die. I'd given it up, not given up, but given it up. I had a brief thought of my wife and some of the dumb things, and I just I couldn't 
couldn't go any longer, and I went down. And as I went down, it happened I was only about 12 feet of water, but it's a long ways down, and I felt it with my feet. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow, someway, somebody put a bunch of boulders down there a long time ago. And I just started crawling on the bottom of the ocean. I had my bearings. I crawled halfway to the shoreline to about five feet of water, gasping for air, and bobbed my way out and walked past some land lovers that were standing on the water side, looking at me like I was an amphibian. <laughs> <laughs> had my Speedo on, you know, I looked like really good, I'm sure, right? I just got on my bike and pedaled home like a five-year-old boy, but that's my story. And I think that drifting is metaphorically involved in that story. We get out in front of ourselves, we think we're we're too we're too big for our britches sometimes and we're not we're not doing that gut check we're, we're drifting drifting will kill you you drown if you but again i found a way to check myself i guess metaphorically in that story and i got another chance so the interesting piece yeah. of your story too is that where you talk about you know you get to the red light the stoplight you yeah. keep hitting and you talk about you know, starting off growing up with an interesting fact, and you're still in the donut business today. Yeah. Uh, you kind of maybe, if you want to hit the stats and mention that, but grew up with a family, that's what y'all did. You were in the donut business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of go that route. You're, at the same time, you're, uh, you know, All-American, Hall of Fame, uh, Manchester University. Actually, they're fixing to name the press box after yeah. you there. Yeah, your homework uh, good. And so... You know, all that going on. But with each of those things, you talk about how you hit basically, you know, a, a stoplight there, a red, red line. Red and, light. and so, but the difference, you know, we talk about on the show separators, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, separation nation. I love your show, man. And it's thank you. To be we on appreciate show. it. We appreciate it. Glad you're honored to have you on. And, you know, but what we what, what we always highlight is the, the things that do separate people that are just living in mediocrity, separating, you know, average. Worst thing in the world you can be is average. The the separators that make people really, truly high achievers and actually successful. And so but that's one great part of your story is all through your story, from the donut donut shop to uh to your sports career, mm-hmm. to to the point that you know, you're you went in the line, you're fixing to uh, play football for the lines, and then you have uh, coming out of college, and then you have the back, uh, broken back deal, you know, that that kind of quenches that for you. But you never at one point did you ever sit down in the corner and say, you know what, screw it, things aren't working out for me, I'm just going to, you know, stick with what um, with what I know or with, with average or mediocre, I'm just going to accept it. Every time life threw something at you or you hit a brick wall, you found a way to reverse engineer and come back stronger than ever. So maybe talk about early days a little bit, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. We've got a lot of entrepreneurs and people that want to become successful entrepreneurs that listen to the show. You know, kind of maybe take us a little bit earlier through the journey, through the, through the you know, growing up in an entrepreneurial family, the, the, the donut shop, kind of what it is today, how you were able to come back even when that might have looked like it was lost. And, you know, after years of knowledge, you were able to come back and basically, that's a very successful business now, you know. So some of the early days, the between the sports, football, the donut shop, kind of highlight some of that, how you never let anything stop you. Yeah. That's, I mean, you're, you're doing a great job. So I think it's important that people understand that uh, I own as many as 12 entities, and uh, we have five strong 
entities that are money-making entities. We have some vehicles that collect money, some passive income vehicles. But we have 12 organizations, and we're, we're, we're a 20 million-plus organization. And we started with a donut shop and, um, when we first got married in 1988. And um, I swore I'd never go back in the donut business. I had an interview with Taco Bell out of college, PepsiCo. Uh, I was the last guy to interview, and um, they said, we really like you, so we're going to hire you for $21,000 a year. And the accountants were making about $21,500, and I'm like, that's pretty good to do tacos. Right? But my wife, she, uh, well, she wasn't my wife. She was a girlfriend at that, a, a special girlfriend. Of, uh, uh, there was some commitment ideas there. But she had just taken a job as a cost accountant, and she was making $21,800. I said, man, I'd love to take that job. I don't want to go back to donuts, um, but I can't take it at 21 because my, she's making more than that, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, that's a good. Oh, come on, we're wired differently. Let's yeah. not fake who we are, right? I mean, people. Don't make more money that, than that. I mean, that, we can't start off this way. So I called them up. I said, "Listen, that's really a nice offer. Uh, I just, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 20 years old, and I'm negotiating out of my first job, and." The only offer I had, <laughs> you know, back then you didn't go back and live with right, your parents. They'd, right. Your dad say, hell no, you, you, you can get your shit and go, right? You know, they're not going to mess around with it. Now we're like, oh, come home and live with us. Don't worry, we'll take care. But no, dad, I was never going to call dad. I was never going to call. So I, I said, well, listen, you give me twenty, you give me $22,200 more. Right? And I'll do you another favor because they wanted to move me to Chicago. And she was in Niles, Michigan. And... Um, I said, I'll take that job in Elkhart. You got a store in Elkhart. And they're like, you will? That's the worst store ever, right? But I didn't want to go to Chicago to be that far away. So I, I said, give me that 22000 or whatever it was. And they said, let's do it, right? So I got more money than her. Hey, baby, I, I made more money than you, right? So, uh, but I, I moved near her, and that's how we kind of worked through things. Well, I did that for a year, and I realized, heck, if I'm going to work this hard, I might as well own a donut shop. I learned what I learned. Only That was the only W-2 I ever had in my life for eight months. <laughs> I did it for eight months, and I gave him a good farewell and everything. But So I bought a donut shop that was that had went out of business. I'd been making donuts since I was eight years old. My dad, Tom Saylor, is a donut maker by craft. He made donuts from the time he was 13, and he was the most prolific football coach Michigan has ever seen to this day, greatest coach ever in the planet. Just love my daddy. He's still alive. Um, just, just love him. And uh, so I grew up in a football family, and he had a really good run and became pretty much famous. And they wrote a little book about him back in the 70s, a little movie about him. And Gerald Ford and Steve Owens and Bear Bryant, all these guys just, just loved him because he won 72 games in a row, never lost five games. I grew up with a motivational background. I was doing up-downs when I was, I don't know, I can, as early as I can remember. Remember up down. Well, football players do up down, catching footballs. We, Dad had me doing grass drills, and he'd bring the kids over. And I never wanted to be the first one to stop. I never wanted, you know, I was just, I was, I was brainwashed to be a winner. You know, I, I just, that's a whole other story. Um, so we made donuts in the summer. So in the summer, we'd go make donuts at a little trailer. And I rode my bike to work when I was 13 at one in the morning. I didn't have a weekend off till I was 21. Um, and when I went to college, he ended up opening a donut shop in the college town, four hours away or whatever it was, because <laughs> so, he knew I'd be there. And, 
I had to work it, you know, and uh, so the donuts, it's in my blood. But what I learned from donuts was a system, a system to make money, a system to leverage my favors, a system to understand how to do the seven fulcrum principles. And that's what's in the book, the seven fulcrum principles. Once you get past the drift, now we take what we've done and we figure out what our favors are. Now talk about that. So explain, explain to the listeners, when you say favors, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So in the book, and it kind of all comes together, but since we're wired differently and we're able to recognize when we drift or we're looking for when we drift, that's really the cut point of a true raw differently person is that they're looking for the drift. They don't want to drift. They don't want to be that person. They, they know that they can be better than that. Then we, what we do in the book, there's a glossary of terms. And one of the terms in the glossary is favor. And the whole concept of is leveraging your favors on the seven fulcrum principles. So favors, everybody has favors, right? But we're just not quite looking at it the same. You have a gift. You have a talent. I mean, we have these things about us that, that we were either born with or we picked up. And we call those in the book favors. So if you were stranded on a desert island and you wanted to get off, what would you do? First thing you would do is you'd go all over that island. You'd look like crazy. You'd look for, you'd look like, you'd like Gilligan's Island. You'd look, look for the old typewriter. You'd look like for a flashlight. You'd look for gasoline. You'd, you'd, whatever you find, you'd collect all these things on this island and you'd put them right there in the middle and you'd be like, okay. This is what I got. I'm going to get off this damn island. Those are your favors. So what I challenge people to do is understand that we're on a desert island, deserted island, and we only have so many favors, and we have to work with what we've had. So we need to leverage our favors. We have to leverage that, that uh, radio that maybe they could put together or, or the, the piece of wood that's there. So you, you got to leverage your favors. And so once we come accustomed to the fact that we have drifted and we're ready to be not broken but willing to become better, we take inventory, that's a word in our glossary, we take inventory of our favors. That's what we're doing on this island, gathering our favors. Now we just say, just like you guys did, what do I got? I got a brother-in-law, I got a buddy, I got drive, I know a little bit about finance, I know a little bit about insurance, nobody's going to do it for me, so I'm going to leverage what I got. I'm going to play the hand I have. And that's what, what, what a favor is. An inventory is taking inventory of your favors, and then some of the other terms in the glossary are your leadership palette. Um, there's just there's there's a ton in the glossary. But what we're going to do is take those favors and we're going to leverage them over the fulcrum principles. And the fulcrum, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I just to, I want to make sure I hit them all. So mind, distance, fight, execution, edge, attack, and your sale. So each chapter has a story and it talks about something that's happened in my life or someone else's life and how you can take your favors and leverage those gifts, those traits, those superpowers that you have, John, and how are we going to leverage them over your mind? So how is the mind going to work? And so then each chapter has mind, and you're going to take your favors, and you're going to figure out how those are going to work around your mind, how it's going to work around this concept of the distance. So that's, that's really the, the, the system of being wired differently and the system of being profitable or making success. And I don't ever talk about money in the book. Um, the only thing I say about money in the book is that made me 
say that I was a millionaire. I didn't say, I, matter of fact, let's see. I, I put, uh, wrote it, Nick Willenda wrote something on the back here. It came back and it said, uh, a, a, a self-made millionaire. And I said, if, we, if you really think we need to put that word in there, then let's put team, team-made millionaire. So we changed that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's, you can't get away. I, I listened to your show about money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a measuring device. I think it's a standard. And mm-hmm. I think that, again, if we're wired differently, we shouldn't be ashamed of ourselves, our success, our failures, our favors. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, definitely nothing to be nothing to be ashamed of there, you know. I mean, you, you've done it. You went out. You put in the work. You've made it. And, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is people want to hear from people that have built something. It's got, I mean, they can, they can go listen to anybody with an opinion that, that mm. doesn't have an experience, you know. Mm. But it's like I always say, I mean, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an opinion. Right. And so, you know, to be able to have somebody that's an authority in your space, that's recognized in your space, multiple entities that are all producing, that are doing well, uh, I mean, it speaks for you. It speaks to who you are as a person. I mean, it, where, there's not going to be any fruit if there's not a substantial right. root, you know, and the fact that, I mean, you're rooted, you've had life experience, and and now the fruit's visible and it's seen, and, and, and that's what I think, and you're coming into an era now uh, of your life, career, and influence that everything you build and done is going to start, I mean, it's, it's going over the loudspeaker, yeah. you yeah. know, and now it's time to, to take that that that's – that you've developed and let it go viral through a community of people yeah. that want to be, do, and have more that, you know. I'm excited because I know, I know the next show we do together, we're going to talk a little more about that. But that is the Wire Differently system, and you said it very elegantly. I, John Maxwell, you guys all know who John oh, yeah. Maxwell is. And so, you know, I think he's one of the, the greatest um, spiritual operational leaders that we've had in our lifetime. I know you guys are a Zig Ziglar guy, and from what I know about him, he's spectacular. And I'm more of a John Maxwell guy because that's just where I landed. But I heard him speak. I actually got to uh, see him personally speak. And he said something once, and and I I really resonated with me. He's telling the story about the different ways that people become successful. Actually, I talked about it being a different way, but all successful people do certain things. And one comment he said about all successful people is he said that everything rises and falls on leadership. And then he looked at the crowd again. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And one more time, he looked at the crowd and he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And somebody raised their hand and said, so... What do you mean everything rises and falls on leadership? And John looked right at him and he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so the point of that little story there is, is that John gets it. I think the guy that asked the question got it after that. But there, there's nothing that doesn't need lead. And there's nothing that you're going to touch that isn't going to leave remnants of you on it as a leader, and there's nothing that's going to work in your life unless you take strong 
massive action and lead. And I think that's this wire differently uh, experiential component that, that we're, we're talking about in the book, being brave enough to blow the deal to make the deal, being brave enough uh, to use a kind of a egocentric word, but being brave enough to walk away from uh, a life of comfort. Um, we talked about drift. We talked about the drift. You know, I'd like to just tell you this little metaphor. Drift is, is like the, an effervescent uh, tablet. When, when you start to drift, and this being brave enough to, to deal with and look for this drift, is if you drop an Alka-Seltzer or effervescent tablet in a glass of water, and you realize that that's your life in that tablet, if you start to drift and you drop that, you just look at that effervescent tablet, it drops in the glass and it starts to sizzle. And that is your life when you're drifting because you went into a place that, 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 that was comfortable for you for too long. And when you're in that place, it's comfortable too long. You've drifted in that place and you're comfortable too long with the things you're saying, the things you're doing, the people you're with, you're not getting pushed, and you're sitting there in your comfort zone. All of a sudden, you start being with those people, saying the same things, going to the same bowling alley, doing the same thing, drinking the same beer, accepting average the same way as that. You can be successful and you can drift. You see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, you're in what's called status quo in all these areas, and then the whole thing becomes the land of quo. And that's another word in the book from drifting, because if you drift too long, you get out of that comfort zone, you're stuck in a land of quo, not just doing the status quo. Everything around you is the land of quo. It's important to know that, you know, in other words, what you're telling people is, is no matter where you, th- what, what plateau, what level you've ascended to, even on that level, there's still more, and you can sit there and accept that. That becomes the new normal, right. and then even the, even though you may have more than many others have, you right. may have done more than many others have, you're still not executing to your potential, and next thing you know, you're in the land of quo. You're in the land of quo. I, I could tell you some famous people that I've worked with and been around in my life, athletes, and, and they're stuck. They're miserable because they're stuck in this land of quo. And this tablet is that a rich person, a poor person, that it, if you're not, that, that tablet just dissolves. Right. And all of a sudden you're left with a glass of water with sediments at the bottom because your moral character, your fiber, you're not stretching yourself. I was talking to a banana just the other day. I said, Mr. Banana, are you ripening or are you what? Rotting. Rotting. Are you ripening or rotting? Because my wife said to me, she's tired. Why can't we just maintain? I said, baby, there's no such thing as maintain. Right. You're either getting bigger or you're getting, you're either getting smarter or you're either getting. We say around here, produce or reduce. If you're not it, continuing there's, to produce, there's you're no, reducing. There's no middle ground. That yep. banana is either getting riper or he is rotting. He, he, he's spoiling. And so we have to be accustomed to that. And these, these people, anybody, you guys can be there. If you're not testing yourself, if you're not, and it's not all about money. It's about stretching yourself with people, ideas, giving, donating, doing things, using your favors for other things, broadening your abilities. See, that's what people don't understand about real entrepreneurs a lot of times either, is that struggle that we live in in our own heads, even though we may be doing things to go to the next level. You know, are we doing enough? You have a, a couple down weeks of sales and you're like, Oh shit, is this me? Because we know everything rises and falls on leadership. That's right. But when we're doing all that we know to do and we're progressing all we know to progress, and sometimes we go through maybe a rough patch or seasons where things are, are the results are not equaling our effort. 
and then and then you know that's why you say an entrepreneur. I mean, we don't have a nine to five. We have a when when our eyes you know open to when they shut, and then half the damn time we're dreaming about it and waking up in the middle yeah. of the night. But the constant struggle of you know, like you, like I think I forget how you said it when it first started, but I mean, is are we going to lose the whole deal somehow? You know, yeah. you feel like you're always one moment yeah. away yeah. from massive expansion of the whole thing going yeah. somewhere. Everything's on black or red or whatever mm-hmm. you're betting. Yeah, that's really good. So, it's really good. One thing unique about um, about your book and what I love about it, there's so many books out there that give you ten steps or twelve steps. Just yeah. do this. Yeah. It seems to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, at the center of of your story in your book is telling people to be unique, to to not be afraid to stand out, and to take you could, uh, to take what's inside of you, you know, what you've been taught or what you've taught for years, mm-hmm. or the gifts, the talents, and all, and be unique, but max it out with what you have. That's not awesome. necessarily do it just like I did, or or these steps or whatever, but to take those talents. And Take those favors, yeah. as you call them. Yeah, I mean, you need to be a master at your craft. You need to be the best in the world at what you do. If you, if you're the only one doing what you do. You, you, there's only two types of business. There is um, monopolistic businesses, and there is this perfectly competitive business. I mean, it's factually true. There's only two types of businesses out there. And so most of us are not in this monopolistic droid or Apple world. We're in this perfectly competitive business. You're doing a version of insurance. Not the only one out there doing it. I'm doing donuts. I'm doing payroll. I'm doing HR. I'm doing staffing. I'm doing 20 things of something everybody else is doing. So what we are is wired differently. People need to understand that we're constantly should be focused on what can we carve out of this perfectly competitive business differently, wired differently, structured differently. What system can we create that can be unique to us that we can own and share with others and just kind of pop out and make it our own version of right. this monopolistic type of deal. We're not going to be there. Let's just face it. Part of part of it is we're not we're not going to probably we're not in that game. We're 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 taking what we have as entrepreneurs and making it better. And I think that's important for our listeners to know too. You everybody's always looking for the new idea. The new listen, in most cases you're not going to I mean, you may you might be an inventor and come up with something brand new and you can, okay? I believe you can, but to be successful in business, you don't have to go reinvent the wheel. You just have to take what other people's doing, put your brand on it, put put the excellence, take elevate one portion of it that you know that you can bring to the table and do better. You're you know? you're all about. I read your whole differently. Yeah, I mean, different is an, uh, a noun. Differently is an adverb. I'm sorry. Different is an adjective. I'm sorry, it is, it's a noun, and differently is an adverb. Differently makes different actionable. Right. And see, that, that's, that's the thing. We can do it different, we can do it differently. I just say differently because I want it actionable. I want action in it. I want to take that insurance special piece that you guys do, and I want you guys, as much as you can, working on why you invent something that's different about it. I mean, and one of the things that launched me in the PEO world was is, we, PEOs did pay-as-you-go workers' comp. Do you guys sell right. comp at all? Yeah, for, for our listeners, yeah. tell them what PEO means. Professional employee organizations. Back in uh, 93 to 2000, 2001, we built the second publicly traded PEO. We went from basically $50 million to a billion in three years. And I personally sold $300 million of that tranche of business. And 
the workers' comp piece was part of that bill factor because right. we, we put everything in one bundle. They got health insurance and 401k and workers' comp, and it was all under one bill factor. But the point was, when I spun out of that and built PACER, which is what's called a service bureau, we just do payroll and we do all those things under the client's federal ID number now. The PEO did it under the PEO's federal ID. I helped invent the first pay-as-you-go workers' comp policy with a company called Guard, which was then purchased by Berkshire Hathaway. So myself and uh, Paychecks birthed the pay-as-you-go piece where workers' comp traditionally was you put half of the premium down or 25 of the premium down and then you did an audit at the end of the year. I had helped create this first model where the client didn't have to put any money down. We bundled it in the payroll and we took it out as a percentage of payroll and Guard did all the heavy lifting. We just pulled it out of the payroll. So it was easy to convert some of those PEO people into that. But what I'm trying to say is I took payroll, which everybody was doing, and said, hey, why don't I grab the workers' comp? No one else is doing it. Right. We took that from the PEO mindset, right? Let's carve it out and let's put it in the service bureau mindset. And that's the way they all, everybody does business that way. So, Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered a lot of the book. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I want to tell all our listeners, we've got to, uh, you know, stay tuned. The next week, part two with Todd will be, be coming out and be being released from the time that you're listening to this now. And uh, in that, we're going to get more into your keynote into a, a program, an experience that you're putting together to help okay. other people know about being wired differently and how yeah. to basically how you reverse engineered your process and how they can take that process and say, you know, when they say, Todd, well, how did you do it? Mm -hmm. Well, you're putting together a whole revolutionary experience mm -hmm. uh, that, that you're probably going to talk some about. Yeah. And so, you know, so we're, we're going to get all that. And then we're also, I want to start with, which I think is very cool, uh, We'll start with a little story about you and a guy that just had primetime television special. What was it on ABC, I believe? Oh. With, uh, <laughs> Mr. Nick Walenda from the famous Walenda family, the man that just walked the tightrope yeah, yeah. across the volcano. And what country was that? Nicaragua. Todd was there. Yeah. Okay. They're there with him. Uh, you can go to Todd's Facebook page and look. Matter of fact, it was even a, what's the guy off The Bachelor? Oh, that guy. Chris Harrison. Chris Harrison even oh, yeah. sat there and, and yeah. shot some video with him for yeah. his daughter because yeah. the bachelor was still going on. Anyway, we had a lot of fun. so good, good connection there. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, listen, go to wireddifferently.com. Right. You can find out all about Todd, all about this brand, and uh, all the connections that you need is there. You're able to book him if you're interested in booking Todd for your next uh, event. So all the information is there, wireddifferently.com. Get the book. Go to Amazon. Order the book. I'm sure they can, you can order it directly Facebook from yeah from Facebook. Wired differently, and uh, I promise you, you're gonna love the book. It was a phenomenal read. Tons of great stories we hadn't even had time to get to, but it's absolutely captivating. It'll keep you. Make sure that you're sharing the podcast. Make sure to subscribe on all platforms, YouTube and the podcast platform of your choice. And we'll see you next time here on Separation Nation.